Luke chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 4 through 20. I just like reading the story, the Christmas story, because it is so powerful in its in its presentation. And just think about the words here and the scenario that Mary and Joseph are facing. Joseph went up from Galilee. Luke chapter 2, verse 4. Joseph went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, into the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes. And a couple things here is that we know that swaddling clothes were clothes that were really the uh, undergarment clothing of Mary. And these were clothes that uh, women would wear until they would die in many cases. And some commentators share that these swaddling clothes were clothes that were used to wrap uh, the person who, was, who had passed away in the grave. And so it can be looked at that Jesus was born in clothing that was designated for death. And here Joseph is traveling with his wife to Nazareth. And this is a huge um, fulfillment of prophecy in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. And she wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields. Now this is interesting because because of prophecy and the preciseness of prophecy, all of Israel should have known that this day their Savior was going to be born. Anyone that was looking at astrology and looking at prophecy could count the days in, in the book of Daniel and know the exact moment that Jesus and where he was going to be born. The Pharisees knew, and all of the religious elites knew that this day Jesus was going to be born. But nobody showed up because of the threat of the new king. And so there was no, now they were in the same country, shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone about, around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Be not afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. You know, nobody showed up, and so God had to go to the shepherds out in the field to tell them the news. Isn't that amazing? Some people say that if Jesus was to appear today, the whole world would go after him. And that's not the case because that already happened. And the whole world did not go after him, even though there was an announcement of his coming. And suddenly there was, with the angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. And so it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said 
to one another, let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph with the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. So as soon as they see the baby Jesus in the manger, they went into all the area and began to proclaim what they had just heard from the angels. Just seeing Jesus Christ in the manger was a gospel event, and they went out to, pre- to preach these shepherds. And we can say that the first preachers probably were shepherds, shepherd people. Isn't that amazing? But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. So Mary was processing everything that was going on. She's seeing the, the, she's seeing the shepherds come. She's hearing what had happened in the wilderness that the angels would come, and she herself is somewhat in a state of, even though she said, "Be it unto me the hand, be it unto me the handmaid of the Lord," this thing that thou hast said, it still was something that she was processing in her mind. And sometimes, in the plan of God, we are we hear things about the plan of God and from the Word of God, and it takes time for us to process it. And she's pondering these things in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told to them. You know, Christmas is really about the greatest theological fact that exists. It's the greatest event in human history. It is the incarnation of God being born in the likeness of sinful flesh. Romans 8, 3 and Philippians chapter 4, verse 7 tell us this that the uttermost display of humility was at that moment at Christmas. And I don't know about you how many Christmases we've gone through and Christmas messages we've heard, but one thing that always hits me at Christmas time is the humility of God. And I want to just talk about that briefly this morning. Jesus was coming in the form of a baby child and At that moment, because he associated himself with the human race, he became guilty of what the human race was guilty of, just by association. He was not in any way sinful, but just him being in our midst in John chapter 1, verse 14, was enough to make him guilty by association. It's amazing to see that in, you know, when we look at the heaven and the earth, 2 Chronicles chapter 2, verse 6 says that the heavens and the earth cannot contain God and that they are just filled with His glory. And if we were to look at the universe and how vast it is and how many light years things are away and that the glory of God cannot be contained in the container of the universe. But God has chosen in Psalm 113, verses 4 through 6 to be confined to a human body a body like ours. Isn't that amazing? This is mind-blowing. And we really have to have the Holy Spirit reveal this to us, to our inner man, because when we speak from the Word of God and we consider amazing things like this, the Holy Spirit has to reveal this to us, because that's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You know, no one was expecting Jesus Christ when He came. And if you were to, if we had, if we had a week to talk about this, we could go into the details, the precise prophecies, the calendar, the mathematics, 
that anyone that had half a brain that did the math of, of the book of, Jan, Dan, book of Daniel would know the dates, the time, and the location of the, of, the, of the birthing of the king of Israel. That's amazing. And nobody was here. God had to go out to the shepherds. That's really amazing. That verse tells us the Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like unto the Lord our God who dwells on high? And listen to this. Who humbles himself to behold the things that are in heaven and in the earth. God is so great. You know, last night during the concert, I was so touched by Pat Orsi when he, when he was just reading the scripture. And uh, he was just reading the scripture and he got to that point where it said that God is great, that Jesus is great. And he stopped. He couldn't continue. He was so broken. That's just to me. I just thought about his humility and the humility of, of Jesus Christ and how when we look at his greatness and how great God is that he has, he has to humble himself to look down at the heavens. That's amazing how great God is. God is so wonderful that it's for him, uh, so to speak, um, a great event for him to stoop down and to look into the heavens. That's amazing, isn't it? That's really amazing. That's just so, th- that's so amazing to see the condescension of God. And why did God condescend himself to become a little baby boy? And that's because of the love of God. You know, the angels that are in the heavens and all the things of the heavens, for God to humble himself to look at those things, is just amazing. It's amazing that he's just mindful of us in Psalm chapter 8, verse 3 and 4. What is man that God is mindful of him? Do you know, there are things that are so puny and so minuscule in the world that we live in that it just doesn't, it is not worthy for us to spend the time to research it and know it. Because it's really not important to us, correct? How many of us would ever take the time to sit down and study the, the anatomy of an ant? And spend most of our time, you know, understanding what is the the chemical composition of a leg or a foot of an ant. You know, like why would we ever spend the emotional energy or the intellectual energy or even our time? Because there's so much more for us to be. I got to go to work. I got this responsibility. I got this thing going on. I have no time to to look at a toe of an ant and to even spend not even a minute of that. But for God, for him to be mindful of us, to study us, to know us, to love us, and our life situation is much more extreme than us spending any time studying the foot of an ant. The the love of God, the amazing humility of Jesus Christ. I love this. I love this. Listen to this. um, Listen to this quote. One of the greatest beauties of Christ was his humility. It was the most attractable thing about Jesus Christ, his, his humility. He was always attracting humble people around him, but he was always making proud people angry. Uh, <laughs> Isn't that good? Wow. Humility of Jesus Christ always, always attracts people like you and I, because we know what we are without God. And the humility of Christ did not attract the Roman government, it did not attract the religious elite of the day. The humility of Christ did not even attract the intellectuals of the day, but it was very attractive to people like shepherds, mm-hmm. to common people. Jesus in Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 3, he attracted common people because it was great news. The angel said, this is good news. 
And what a lot of people are hearing today is not great news. The great news is, is that God so loved the world, in John 3, verse 16, that he sent his son. And that word sent, there's a lot of power and passion in that word sent. God sent his son. There's a lot of, a lot of energy that God just, he just propelled his son into this world in the form of a little baby. Because he so loved the world. There are seven things that, there are seven things that I want us to really look at here about the love of God. God's love caused him to do seven things. Number one, he doesn't just look at us, but he gets involved with our life. God is very much involved in our life. And I just want to tell you that if you don't see God working in your life, it could be because we're missing all the signs in the Word of God. The Word of God has tons of signs in it that are pointing to Jesus Christ and His power. And if, God, if, we are, if we are not seeing the hand of God in our life and answers to prayer, it could be that the humility of Christ in the manger is being passed over. And I, I catch myself sometimes in the complexities and the sophistication of things and, and sometimes missing just the absolute simplicity and the humility of Christ. I just want you to really focus on this because I'm not going to speak long. That the hand of God, the miracle of God, the the greatest miracle of God in our lives could be so easily missed because of I am not at that level of humility that Christ is. I think for us to look at the humility of God in a manger, in a dirty, in a dirty, in a dirty barn would be for us a little awkward, wouldn't it? A little, you know. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you go visit someone that is just in abject poverty. And you go in there and that feeling that you have, like, oh, this is a little awkward. How many have ever felt that way? You go and you're like a little bit like I'm a little uncomfortable. I, I know I'm, you know, and I just feel so bad for these people. I remember in Santiago, and we were visiting, doing a mission trip for three weeks in Santiago, Chile in South America. And we did a radio program about the, the nearness of heaven. Someone called us eight hours away in a little town in right near the Peruvian border, and they asked us to come up and visit them. And so we got in a bus, drove eight hours to visit them. This little, we got to this little village called La Serena, and it was a little, little tiny village. And everybody there were little people. They were very short, and they were probably the tallest person in the village was that tall. And when me and this other guy, uh, Gary Smith, we got out of, he, he's, he was the pastor there, got out of the bus. The bus also was made for very little people. We were just like this the whole trip. We got out of the bus, and all these little kids, and they were like teenagers, but they looked like little kids to us, come running at us because there's all these, you know, gringos, these, these you know, very tall, very white-looking people. <laughs> so we were immediately the attraction of the town that day, and so we were walking down the street, you know, the, the family met us there to take us to their house to, to share the gospel with one man that was going to die with cancer. And I remember walking into this house, we had the duck to get into the door. Everything was so small and just the abject poverty of the place. And everyone was just so ready, you know, they brought the man out of the room. He was like on a, you know, like he was a younger man, but he was dying of cancer and this was really the end. And they didn't know how to lead him to Christ, so they called us. They said, could you send two pastors up, you know, from your church to lead this man to Christ? So the whole family, there's 30 people in this little room, probably like the size of, you know, 
maybe a little bit bigger than the mother's room. That was the size of the house that we were in, a dirt floor. So we're in there, and I'm just thinking, you know, like, it was just, they were so humble, they were so broken, they were so ready to receive Christ, and he was so ready to receive Christ that we, we all bowed our head, we shared the, Gary shared the gospel with him in Spanish, and I was just sitting there, and I just was like, I felt like the proudest person on the planet. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. You just feel like, my gosh, you know, these people are so humble and they're so broken and their life conditions are so simple, but they have such a simple humility in God and they're receiving the gospel. They know that we as as pastors have come to share the gospel with them and that in itself was very humbling. And so we're there sharing the gospel and the presence of Christ was so prevalent in the room. It was so amazing and we were so broken and we prayed... That man just got, he just got like in this position, like he'd been waiting for weeks for someone to come to lead him to Christ. And his family, they were believers, but they didn't know how to lead him to Christ. So we're there, and he was so ready to receive Christ, and he received Christ. We were there, there for a couple hours, we ate dinner with them, a very simple dinner, made our way back to the bus station, went back to Santiago. And that was just, I'll never forget that day. And guess what? That's just an amazing story. Six months later, Gary calls me from, and maybe I told this story before, Calls me. I'm in the state. You know, I'm in the states. He calls me and he goes, "You remember that guy that we went we went and visited in La Serena? I go, "Yeah." He, God healed him. He didn't die of cancer, so he's he's up and on his feet and he's living his life and having kids. And I was like, "Wow, that's an amazing story." And you can't fake that one because that was like. And I knew that Jesus was there, that the presence of God was there because it was so. It was just so powerful. And I thought, you know, we could have just said, you know what. Just send another guy. You know, it's eight hours away. You know, it's like, you know, what is La Serena? Who are these people? You know, that would be very arrogant. And we would have missed the whole event of Jesus Christ being there and that amazing blessing. See how easy it is to miss a miracle in your life because of just high-minded thinking. I have another story I just want to, um, and I just let me get through these seven things. God doesn't look at us. He gets involved with our life. Number two he humbled himself. It's amazing, isn't it? Jesus humbled himself. I remember as a kid, I loved the stories of, you know, the, the prince in the palace, the very wealthy palace, and disguises himself like a poor man and goes into the city and helps people. I always loved those kind of stories, you know. Came back to his, during the night he would do it, come back to the castle, and everybody would be like, where were you all night? And he says, I can't tell you. I, I love those kind of stories. Number three, he condescends. He comes down to our level. He condescends. He stoops down, number four, to think of us. The humility of God. And that may sound a little arrogant, but you know, God is amazing. He's great. And that he would take time to think about us. And that's the next one. He is mindful of us. You know, God is thinking about you. You know, we're in our houses and our jobs and our Christ, life crisis situations. God's thinking about us. You know, as a teenager, God's thinking about you. You're like, if we were to ask God, God, what are you thinking about today? You know, the... The, the great mighty angels. No, I'm thinking about my servant Job, Job chapter one. I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about uh, Zacchaeus that's in the tree. I'm thinking about the man with the withered hand. I'm thinking about, um, I'm thinking about Lazarus who is dead in the grave, and Martha and Mary are just having a crisis in their faith because Jesus waited to go. God is mindful of us, and he thinks about us. His thoughts in Psalm 139 are as many as the sea. Isn't that beautiful? He thinks about us. Number, number six, he stoops down to care for us. 
How many have ever experienced the care of God in your life? The caring hand. How many have ever sensed that? Like, and many of us, if not all of us, have been part of that caring hand in other people's lives. That's what I love. I just love that. Like you just know, you drive home and you just know that God's used you by His grace. You're, you're driving home and you're thinking, wow. There can be no greater feeling than to, to know that God just used us by His grace. And then lastly, He became one of us. Tonight, today, in heaven, on the right hand of the Father, guess what? There's not an angel there. There's not a creation, some mighty creation. There's not a spirit there. It's a man. Like you and I. Can you imagine that? Isn't that amazing? That there, there's a glorified man there that suffered the things that we suffer. That's so amazing. I just want to finish this story about, and it, for me, I've read this story before, but I want to read it again. It brings home to us the points of how God became one of us. There was a Belgian priest in the 1800s. His name was Father Damien, who went to a village on the island of Molokai in Hawaii. Missions in Hawaii, that sounds like a great idea, doesn't it? Why can't that happen these days, you know? A village that had been quarantined as a leper colony. Father Damien, a priest, goes to this leper colony. Imagine that leprosy in Hawaii in the 1800s. And he was there in this closed community for 16 years. Father Damien lived there with these people that had no one else no one else wanted to have anything to do with them. He learned their language, he served them, and he built homes for these lepers. He organized schools and he organized choirs. Rather than being careful to keep his distance from the lepers, as most would have done, he got right up living next to them. He bandaged their wounds, he ate with his patients, sometimes out of the same dish. He touched people that others considered untouchable. Gradually, throughout the course of his years of serving there, that village was transformed. Despair was replaced with hope. Yet for years, he was still different in one very important point. They were lepers, and he was not. Then one day, he stood up before his congregation. He began his sermon with these words, We lepers. For he had contracted leprosy while living among the people. From that moment on, people in that village saw the servant in a whole different light. Now he wasn't just living among them. He wasn't just serving them. He had actually become one of them. Not only would he share their life, now he would die as they died. And so on this Christmas, we celebrate this day that God came to our village. He didn't just come to help us. He began his message, the gospel saying, we lepers. And that's what Jesus said. And that's his title, Son of Man. He came into our world, contracted our disease, which was death. He contracted, he became, he came, became one of us and died our death. Isn't that amazing? Jesus Christ. And this is the great story because he became one of us. This is the great story of the gospel. He became one of us, took upon himself our sins, and rose from the dead paving a way for us to know him. And I just, the, the practical point, the take-home point here I want you to take home with you is, is in humility is the only place that we can connect with God. Because God in, is himself humble. Satan underestimated the humility of God. Satan understood the plight of men. He knew that he could deceive men at the Garden of Eden. But at that moment, Satan underestimated 
the humility of God. Satan had no idea that God would humble himself and come in the form of man. Imagine that. Pride always underestimates the humility of God. It's like this. Satan looked at God through his own proud eyes. He said, Satan was in effect saying, if I were God, I would never come to die for these, for these losers, for these people. And let them suffer their life. Let all of humanity just suffer and go to hell because of their dumb mistake in the garden. And that's what Satan was saying. He was looking at God through his own proud eyes. And that's what pride does. Pride always misses the humility of God and the wonderful treasures of God because of its heightened pride. The humility of God always surpasses anyone's imagination. And when Jesus, and it was in the prophecies here, and, and Satan understood, okay, God's going to do something in Genesis chapter 2. He's going to bruise with his heel the servant, but how he's going to do it. He couldn't fully comprehend God coming in the flesh because Satan at that Lucifer had no idea that God's humility was so great. And that's our great message for Christmas, that God humbled himself, became one of us, suffered the feeling of our infirmities in Hebrews chapter 4, so that now we have a high priest, like Father Damien here, who cannot be touched with our infirmity, but was touched with our infirmities. And so when we go through things, sorrow, temptation, trouble, difficulties, just remember Jesus was there at that point, and he can walk us through that. Because he loves us and he's for us. Amen? Let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great humility. Lord, we are so ever indebted to your grace, yet you never ask us for anything back. You never put on us a religious program. You never make us feel obliged or obligated. Because it's all grace. And our response to that is, God, I want to just give you my life. I just want to give you my all. And Lord, we want to be vessels to be used by you this Christmas, just to be there to touch somebody's life that is in great need. Thank you, God, for the great Christmas story, the greatest gift, from, greatest gift of all. We just pray for families today that are struggling, that may be having difficulties. Lord, we pray for each person that's here today. Again, for Sarah's family, Lord, as they lost their sister. And thank you for that wonderful funeral yesterday with uh, Don's family. What an amazing time of joy and tears and hope at that funeral. And we just really pray, God, for a blessed week this week. Go before us and bless those again that are struggling in their health. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <laughs>